0: The Gospel passage for today is coming from the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So I invite you to follow along at home with your own personal Bible or if you'd like to hear the Word as it is given. That's also acceptable. So today's Gospel is going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, in 1812, I don't know if you remember this or not, a little bit of a history lesson, but in 1812, our great nation, the United States, was at war with what was at that time the world's superpower, Great Britain. And the war did not go that well for America, because at the end of the war, we really didn't gain anything. You know, typically, if you win a war, you've gained some territory, or you have some type of form of money paid to you or whatever, you know, for the other countries. But at the end of the War of 1812, really nothing changed. So we didn't lose the war, but we really didn't win the war. However, the War of 1812, there is one lasting effect from this war that involved a person named Francis Scott Key, who was a 35-year-old attorney, but was not in the military during the War of 1812. Yet he found himself... Being held behind enemy lines in September of 1814, you know the war wasn't like I said earlier wasn't doing well for America. The British had actually captured our nation's new nation's capital, Washington D.C., back in August of 1814, and by early September, the British were really uh, ready to plan their next attack on the port of or the port of Baltimore and attack Fort McHenry. Okay. So how did Francis Scott Key, though, get called up behind enemy lines in September of 1814? Well, this is how it happened. There was an individual at the time, a physician, a doctor named Dr. Beans. And he treated both injured British and American troops in the war. And the British began to like Dr. Beans. But eventually Dr. Beans began to give Americans, the American military, information about the British. And so they got upset with them, and eventually they captured him and, and moved him to a British Navy ship Okay, right there outside of the port of Baltimore. And so there he was captured on this ship, and he was a well-known physician. Many uh, governmental officials on the American side knew him, and they w- would like to have him released. So they enlisted some help from Francis Scott Keyes, who was a young attorney from Georgetown, but well-known. And so they recruited him, and they also recruited Colonel John Skinner, an American agent for prisoner exchange, and sent them on an American boat to this British Navy ship to negotiate the release of Dr. Beans. Now it was a difficult negotiation, but it eventually was successful. And they confirmed that the doctor would be released, but they had worried that the Americans, while they are on their ship, picked up information about the next attack the British were planning on the port of Baltimore, on Fort McHenry. So they held them on the vessel until the attack on Fort McHenry was completed. So the attack began at 7 a.m. on September the 13th, 1814, and for 25 hours the British bombarded the fort. A good number of the bombshells exploded too early, leaving the red flares... Across the sky. And throughout the battle, as Francis Scott Keyes, Dr. Beans, Colonel Skinner, they sat there and they watched from the deck of the ship until darkness came and made it too difficult to follow the action. And the overnight shelling slowed down on Fort McHenry, but they were afraid, the Americans were afraid, that Fort McHenry was taken. The next morning, Keys, Beans, and Skinner awoke to see that the American flag was still flying over the fort. And in that moment, Keyes got inspired, or Francis Scott Key got inspired, and he began to write a poem on the back of the letter he had in his pocket. And when he got back to land, he gave the poem to his brother-in-law, who was a judge, Judge Nicholson, in Baltimore. He loved it so much he had it printed, entitled it, The Fence of Fort McHenry. And arranged it to be distributed all over Baltimore. And Nicholson also suggested that the words of the song be set to music. To the tune of to Anacreon in Heaven, which was a popular song in America at the time. It was actually a British bar song, but the Americans loved it. And so they set the poem to that tune. And then the next month in October of 1814, an actor in Baltimore sang that song at the local tavern and he changed the name, though, from Defense of Fort McHenry to the Star-Spangled Banner. And there it became an immediate success nationwide. So much so that it eventually became adopted by our Congress as the National Anthem in March of 1931. You see... Over the next few Sundays, we're going to be looking at another poem or a prayer from the Gospel of Matthew. It's the Lord's Prayer from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to break it down verse by verse. And today, we're really going to dive in and look at verse 9. Verse 9 reads, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, I was listening to an interesting podcast when I was driving in my car doing the afternoon carpool. See, I have three children, and there's about one or two days a week during my lunch break where I have to go and and pick up the kids from school. So it, it takes a little while. It takes a little bit over an hour to do that. So what I like to do is I like to put in a good podcast. And the one that I listened to recently is from Tim Mackey who has the podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible. And so his podcast kind of gave me some inspiration for today's sermon because he talked about how Jesus, when he gave the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he knew he was giving a prayer that would transcend the times, that would be a prayer that his disciples and followers of that present day and the future, you and me, would pray. Unlike... Francis Scott Key, who wrote the poem and took it to his brother-in-law, who then distributed it to Baltimore, but he, he just thought that's as far as it would go. I can guarantee you that Francis Scott Key never would have imagined that his poem would take so much attention and become so popular and, and would represent the nation of America and who we are to be adopted as our national anthem that's now sung at sporting events. You, you hear it immediately and you have emotions attached to it. You, you see our nation and all this patriotic ideas come to your mind. That never really probably entered Francis Scott Key's imagination that that's what his poem would become. But, as Tim Mackey brought out in his podcast, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was giving a prayer, a poem that would transcend time, that would define his followers and who they are. And it would guide their course and their belief. When Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples, he was on giving the Sermon on the Mount as we know it. It's a, a very important part of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he really meant for us to pray this prayer in that way. Jesus just didn't say things he didn't mean. So in verse 9 when he says... Pray then in this way, as His followers, we should begin all of our prayers that way. That is how we should pray. And we should pray more than once, multiple times a day. It's interesting for me to imagine when Jesus, when you read in Scripture, would go off by Himself to go pray that He would begin His prayer the same way He told us to is a prayer that helps us to center center ourselves, center our minds, center our souls and bodies and to help us focus on who God really is. So let's take a look. When he says pray then in this way, the first thing is said is so important. Our Father in heaven. That's how we open our prayer. Why would we open our prayer with our Father in heaven? Why not Almighty God, great creator, wonderful God. No, we open it with our Father in heaven. Why do we say that? We say that to establish the type of relationship that we as God's creation should have with the creator. Jesus in that day and age would address God multiple times as Father, and that was a unique way to address God. For a Jewish rabbi, which is what Jesus was, a Jewish rabbi, a teacher of the law. But he did. Unlike the other rabbis, he would address God as Father, Abba. And he tells us to do that. And so what that means for us is that we don't have a God that sits on a heavenly throne, disconnected from his creation, caring not what happens, but a God that wants a personal intimate relationship with His followers. A God that loves us so and wants to be forever connected to us. Go back to Genesis and the times that we had before the fall with God in the garden and that was an intimate, close relationship where there was no shame and doubt. But for some reason today, we've lost some of that. We've lost some of that intimacy with God, so what this prayer does is acknowledges that God is a Father that loves us so, but also says that this is a God that's in heaven. That this is a God that created everything. That is a God that should be respected as well. While we should love Him, we should fearfully respect Him as well. And so, with that setting the tone for the prayer, the next part of the prayer that should draw our attention is, "Hallowed be Your name." The word hallowed is very interesting, but it's not used much in the English language, in the American, you know, common talk and conversation, except for when you get to maybe like Halloween. Okay, you hear the word Halloween. Or we talk about All Hallows Eve, which is before November 1st, which is All Saints' Day. So you hear that, but hallowed means holy. Means holy. Holy be your name. Now, this is not. Saying that God is not holy until we invoke His holiness. No, God is holy. He is set apart. He is separate. But it does a few things for us as we pray. It reminds us of the holiness of God. It reminds us of who He is. And we need that reminder. We need that reminder in our daily lives. And it is an invitation Not just simply a praise, but it's also an invitation for God's holiness to be upon this earth. To be in this world. That it be made holy as He enters the world. You see, this prayer invites us to participate in the ministry of God. It, It is a prayer that is to be prayed together. Our Father... It's not my Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is a prayer for all believers to pray and to pray together when at all possible. And it invites us. It invites us to leave behind our individualistic ideals. And to invite God's holiness into the world. And that His will be done. You know, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that should not be recited as empty words. No, that can be dangerous. Because then it loses its effect. It is a prayer, this prayer in Matthew that's the Lord's Prayer. is a prayer to be prayed to drive us, to give us inspiration, to carry out the mission that we're called to carry out. It is a prayer that we say each and every day, multiple times a day, to help us to center ourselves, to remind us of who we really are. As we recognize God's holiness and then invite that into the world, that should remind us too that it's His creation. We are made in His image, we are made to reflect His holiness, which is set apart and separate for how the world acts. And being the image of God in today's world is a, is a difficult, difficult task because we know that our God calls us to worship Him and love Him. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Which there's so much behind that phrase. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, that means you also have to love yourself in a way. Not in a way that you go and, I don't know, go out and treat yourself to five really large ice cream sundaes until you're sick in your stomach. No. But in a way that you love yourself and give yourself grace because you are created in the image of God. To recognize that you are His royal ambassador in this earth. That you are loved to respect yourself in that way. That's what we mean by love of self. Then you love your neighbor by... Respecting your neighbor. By showing God's love to your neighbor. That is how you reflect his holy image. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. I'm not lost on what is going on in the world around us. It is a difficult time because of the COVID pandemic. Now going on... 11 months almost for America. It's changed the way of our life. And now we begin to see a little bit of this light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know how long it's going to take to get there, but we'll get there. But in the midst of all this, we're still called to be the image of God. In the midst of this pandemic, we're still called to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love God. And it all may change how we do that, but we're still called to do that and we'll be held accountable by that as His followers and as His disciples. Our nation is having some political transitions and there's always some growing pains from that no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of political ideologies and beliefs. These little things every four years called elections can get everybody upset at one another. But may we remember as Christians, Christianity and God have been here before these nations that we know today and they will be here after these nations that we know today. So it's important to know that you are a Christian. And in these times of political transition, we are called to still reflect the holiness of God and to love those that we don't agree with You don't have to agree with them, but you need and are called to love them. And that is hard, my friends. That is hard. And so this prayer that we're going to be studying, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be diving into over the next few months, may this be a reminder that this is not an empty prayer. This is not a prayer we just recite and then we move on. It is a prayer that is meant to center and focus us. It is a prayer that is our poem for Christ, our poem of God. That is supposed to be our rallying cry to motivate and inspire us with the Holy Spirit. By knowing that our God is known as Father. Who is intimately involved with you and wants to know you and love you and have that close relationship to not be a God that is disconnected, but a God that loves you so that he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. And that he's a God of heaven, a God to be respected. And that is a God whose name is made holy. And that We invite His holiness into this world. And one way we do that is recognize we are made in His image and we are to reflect His holiness by what we do through our love of God and neighbor and self. So as we go throughout our week, my challenge to you is to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Pray it every day, but just don't pray it with empty words, but to slow down. Read each word and pause, each sentence and phrase and pause. And may the Spirit move through you and may you recognize who you are as a father of Christ and how we have this awesome, awesome responsibility to be the image of God in today's troubled world. May the Holy Spirit encourage you. May God give you the wisdom to fill out your calling. That is my challenge for each and every one of us today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you because you are a God that wants to be so intimately involved in our lives that you came down from your heavenly throne into flesh and showed us how to live out the word. And so, Lord, may we do that. May we live out the world. May we model Jesus and be the reflection of your image to this world today that desperately needs to know that they are loved. That their God loves them. And that they too can be a follower of Christ. That is our prayer today. And we pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.